Alright, welcome back to the latest edition of The Blend. Let me play along with my telephone. Get Andy Summer from the police. Let us see. Push this one, push that one. And, uh, I guess here we go. Andy Summers, welcome to The Blend here in Chicago. So you are out with your new documentary, Can't Stand Losing You, Surviving the Police. It's uh, essentially a film about your memoirs before, during, and after the police. That must have been hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, It takes a lot of discipline, a lot of memory recall, and, you know, a lot of rewriting to to get at the point where you, you know, you feel like you've got it down right and you, you can take some pride in the writing yeah i mean the writing of the book was the essential thing which was you know you know i, I had it around for a couple of years not two years every day because i was making records and going on tour as well but i, I was on it for about two years and the last period of it was about five or six months where i literally got up every morning and went straight to the uh, computer and now was this something that you just woke up one day and you said i want to write a memoir i want to do a film I think it was around for quite a long time, feeling like, God, man, I, I know I can write. I, I've got to, I've got to do it. And you know, the obvious place to start with your, is with your own life, I suppose, because um, you know, I've done a lot of writing, a lot of short stories, many essays, and things over the years. Uh, so it was sort of in me anyway. And um, the next thing was to, you know, do the life story. But of course, as you get into the craft of writing, you've got to sort of plot it out, plan it out, and. Um, least part was the most difficult really because obviously it was so tumultuous um i had to sort of create a sort of a factual scaffolding before i really got into writing it properly like real writing so i had to get all the facts and the events over the years set up which i literally had pasted up on a wall in a long strip and i would go down and start trying to get into the emotional recall of all that so Now, how much of the story were you wrong, where you kind of thought, I think it went this way, and then you'd reach out to Stinger Stewart uh, if you did, and they went, oh, no, 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 it wasn't wrong year, that's not what happened. No, I mean, there's a lot written about the police, and there are many books, and there are uh, a few people that I know of who are such diehard fans, they've got every date, every sort of nuance of everything we ever did, and, you know, I would ask them what happened when, and they go, no, no, you're wrong, Germany and it went to number one. It was so lonely, and this was the cover. You know, they know every line. Okay, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I now, slowly pulled it all together, so I got the facts straight. You know, which of course is you can't. You know, you don't just put the facts in. You've got to. What you want is the sort of emotional underbelly and the what was really going on in the inside, which I tried to lay out in the book very honestly. Mm-hmm. So let's go back t- to the beginning. Um, you talked about surviving the police. How did you join the band? I think obviously it was destiny uh, to believe in that. Um, we were pulled together by another uh, bass player in London called Mike Howlett, who'd been in a group called Gong, who'd had considerable notoriety in Europe, and, but they'd broken up. And the thing was that they were going to go back to do a, a sort of eight-hour show in Paris where every guy who'd been in Gong, there was about eight of them, would come back with his new band, and then at the end of the night, the Gong themselves would play. And... Um, that's really uh, why he pulled us together to do this this one-off show in Paris. But it, it resulted in me rehearsing and practicing with Stuart and Sting for three weeks. And of course, at the end of that, we had this whole other musical bond. And then after Paris, 
Now, I was kind of going through the biography. First of all, the police are one of the top five bands of all time on my list. Okay, you're right in the middle behind, let's see, the uh, the Beatles and the Doors. So right there, number three for me, I, I had the chance to see you guys back in Chicago uh, during the Synchronicity Tour and then this reunion tour uh, in Los Angeles. So I'm pretty lucky over that. So now you're going back. So you join the band. You go through all of this. Could you sit down with Andy in 1977 and give him advice or there's just no way you could have ever talked to that guy? Well, 1977, you know, was probably a difficult moment for me because I felt uh, probably in 1977, it's like, okay, you really got to do this now if you're going to really stick in music because I'd been playing for a while and hadn't really broken through to the ultimate, as it were, and... Absolutely. Now, of the bands that I that I mentioned on my all-time list, each member of each band has its own influence on the band. What do you think the influence you had on the band itself? That's an interesting question. Um, well, I think, you know, for start, I had a harmonic vocabulary that was way past most rock bands. I'd been playing for a while. I'd, be, I'd studied music in college. I grew up playing jazz, you know, played classical guitar. You know, I was pretty... pretty uh, widely read as a musician and a guitar player, you know, I felt like I was basically, to be honest, a shit hot guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Um, but when we got into the police, you know, specifically, you know, and I started to work with Sting, who seemed to have a very similar musical background yep. to me. He wasn't yep. just a guy who listened to sort of fluffy pop tunes. He'd grown up with a lot of jazz. came out of a jazz fusion group. But, you know, he was a songwriter as well, and we'd all obviously grown up with rock and pop, so we, we were sort of uh, all had a number of different influences. And um, as we started to really practice and become a band, and I, I, things seemed to have the ear, if I would play like sort of more interesting harmonies as most rock band players would play, he could certainly sing to it and go with it. And I think that, that it, it opened up the possibilities uh, for me playing in a trio and to not just sound like uh, any other trio with like very heavy bar chords. So, uh, you know, it, it was an organic and natural thing, but based on the fact that I had all this other stuff that I could play, and I think a lot of the things I did became very uh, adopted into the lexicon of rock music. Mm-hmm. Now, with your experience uh, with the band, so let's jump forward, uh, many years forward. How did that influence your latest band, Circa Zero, which is really cool. That is some really cool stuff. That's some cool tracks, my friend. Yes, I thought that was one of the best rock records of the last 10 years. Yeah. Amazing that it didn't really um, get what it deserved. It was such a great record, and Rob Jar's a great singer. Um, well, it's in there. You know, when we made the Circus Zero record, I mean, I wasn't really looking to imitate the police at all, but I mean, I play the, play the way I play and I hear the way I hear. So there's, there's some of it is in there, you know, a little bit, but it, it, I wasn't, certainly wasn't interested in making a sort of slavish imitation of the police. Mm-hmm. You know, Rock, uh, Rob is a very different musician and a different singer. 
and had different sensibilities, say, than Sting. Uh, so the thing was, what would, you know, in that case, what would the two of us make together? And, and what you get is the Circa Zero record. Now, does the Circa Zero record reflect who you are as a musician? Or is there a police track or album that that you could say, no, that's more me? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I'm able to do a lot of things. I mean, the music I'm making right now is very uh, genre-free. I'm completing an album that's instrumental, but it's, it's not really jazz and it's not really rock. It's very exotic and with beautiful textures. Um, I'm quite pleased with it. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. I mean, it's certainly me. You know, I mean, in all the records I've made, I've always tried to, yeah, escape any obvious definition. Like, it's, oh, it's absolutely a straight-ahead jazz, or no, this is pop music, there's mm-hmm. no question about it. I mean, in the um, Circa Zero record, we were aiming to make a rock record. That was that was the thing, let's make a rock record. And so I turned my abilities to that. Right now, what I'm doing is very free of that. I don't feel constrained by those sort of structures or compositional structures um it's very different so i feel that i can you know i can go a lot of different ways and uh, but it's very, always very important to me to try and make something that doesn't really sound like anywhere else and, and it's fresh and it's uh, uh sound now on this promotional tour and you're going to be opening the uh or at least the documentary hit chicago later uh this month on the 24th are you nervous about hitting the road and promoting the documentary how much I'm going to really hit the road. I will see what they get asked of me. I've been in New York. I was in New York a couple of weeks ago for a whole week doing everything, including the Tonight Show. And you know, all of last week was Los Angeles. Um, I think with between me and the film company, you know, we're sort of playing playing it as it as it unfolds. You know, mm-hmm. we're unfolding this thing. I mean, next month they're going to go to Cannes with it, um, and I think that he will sell it right across the world because it hasn't really been no real hard sell has been made of this film yet uh it was out in japan it was out on a dvd in holland and it did come out in italy last summer but uh there's so many countries to go to mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh, but just doing the tonight show and stuff is that nerve-wracking it's well yes it is because it's not you know obviously you know we can all play but it's the setup for it is, mm. is very intense it's very intense uh, you know, the time that you have to do it and the fact that you can't really get on that bandstand until the show starts. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. You know, I got to rehearse with the Roots in a room that was about six foot square. Very difficult. <laughs> and you never, never played with these guys before and you go, there's no chance to really get down and get into it or get your sound right. It's like you're on and you better be good. It's difficult. But um, Fallon was so sweet, so nice to me. And, you know, I had a good time doing it, actually. You know, I, I thought it was really quite successful. And I, I love Jimmy Fallon. He was, he was great. Well, plus he's a musician, so right there he's got another connection. And I mean, let's face it, you're one of the rock legends of our time. He was great, and I, I'd do it again. You know, I enjoyed it. Is there a song that you would like to tell all DJs around the world, on a joking side, stop playing the song, I've heard enough of it? Is there one? Well, one that I say, don't, don't keep playing that? Yes. Like, my God, how many times are you going to play that song on that station? Well, you know, I don't think I would say I'd just keep playing it, man, you know, because <laughs> we're one of the few bands that just seems to have never gone away, which is sort of amazing, really. And, and if you look at just the, the capsule, five successful CDs in six 
years. Are you kidding me? No one's doing that. No one can do that. No one seems to be able to do it anymore, which is always amazing to me. But, you know, we could literally make our records uh, in about a week. Um, I think the reason was we were so much be, uh, being the police and we were we never stopped playing we played virtually every night of our lives of that whole band we were always touring so all the time we were you know the, the machine was completely greased when we got in the studio it was just another gig okay let's knock these out um, it wasn't like a desperate struggle you know like bands go in and start trying to write songs in the studio it's ludicrous I mean the era we came from you had all the songs ready you went in and you, you practiced them and you recorded them quickly all three guys playing together that's what we did you know and uh, and if you listen to the first song let's just say your first hit Roxanne to synchronicity the musical arc that you guys went through is unfreaking believable I have a teenage son uh put on a couple of uh police tracks he went berserk like you are the latest and greatest band ever yeah I well you know that's very uh sweet for me to hear that because I think you know and even through this movie you know the younger generation, you know, kids in their teens now. I, I was just in someone's house the other night. He said, oh, I took Billy to see your movie. And I'm like, God, he freaked out. He just loved it. He's a 16-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. I go, you know what? That's really great, you know, that, that that we can still get through to a later generation that these kids are picking up. And that's a real tribute to the band and to the music. So that's one of the nicest aspects for me, that people still can pick up on something like that. Now, was the reunion tour really hard to do? Like, I, when I saw you guys, you looked far more happier than you did when I remember during the Synchronicity Tour. Um, and that's just my recollection. Well, you could be right. You know, I mean, Synchronicity Tour was really the tour where we were coming to an end in that period. Coming back on the uh, reunion tour, of course, it just made so many people so happy. And it was the biggest tour we ever did. You know, mm-hmm. it was just stadium after stadium. We didn't play anywhere mm-hmm. other than stadiums. It was sort of an amazing uh, record-breaking tour, so you know it, it did feel good, to be honest. Andy, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the Blend. Everybody, check out his documentary. It is called "Can't Stand Losing You: Surviving the Police." Plus, check out his latest music. Andy, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Steve. All the best.
began for the police 1977 no one actually believes that they were a 70s band yes indeed they were a 70s band and they influenced the 80s and the 90s and even now if you ask anybody uh police there, there are police fans everywhere and this is a song that ended it they actually retired in 86 and then came back they're gonna come back again
seek our chronicity tour. Or two. That's where it all ended in 1986. That was their uh, fifth CD in six years. Andy Summers. Make sure you guys check out his documentary. It's actually based on a book that he wrote a couple of years ago. His memoir is called One Train Later. So check that out. Uh, go to his website, which is andysummers.com, or you could follow him on Twitter, A Summers Music. That's where you need to go. That's the only way we need to do it for all of you, right? Right, right, right. So make sure you tweet out to him. Uh, maybe we'll have him back when he comes back. If he's going to be in Chicago when uh, the premiere on the 24th, I will let everybody know. Uh, all the details are up on his website. It is Los Angeles this weekend. Then I think it's next weekend is is New York. That's how it usually usually goes. Now, I did mention his, his side project. His latest project is Circa Zero. Uh, it was a track I had played before, but here is the track so you guys get a good feel of who Annie Summers really is, one of the great guitarists of all time. You guys have been listening to The Blend. <laughs> <laughs> 